That is so much more than a song. Last week when I was working so long, I had, to, had a deadline. I was thankful for the work, don't get me wrong. But as I was working 14, 15 hour days, you know what I'm talking about, to try to get ready for camp meeting. That song was my anthem. More love, the more that I love him, the more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows. Tonight, it's not about church. It's about, it's about each day forming a closer bond with God, allowing your heart to get bigger and saying, praise be to the King of Kings. That's what it's about. And if you can't say that, no matter what church you attend, no matter what you call your faith, if you can't say that tonight, you are not worshiping Him in the truth, with true worship, as Brother Jeff so, so wonderfully pointed out the other night. I guess I better get into this. 8.16. I know, I, want, I, I know, but I want to be considerate. This is not me. As I mentioned in Greensboro, I'm not this kind of person. I'm a very shy quiet, introverted person, but I love God more than anything. I love studying His Word, and I love sharing it with other people to, that, they may, that they may know the fullness of His love in Christ that each person, what was that verse that, uh, that present, as Brother Steve mentioned at the ordination, we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Perfect. Not lacking anything. The 17th chapter of St. Luke I, the Lord, in the last couple of months, has shown me things about myself. He's shown me things that He wants me to know, I feel. And my love has gotten stronger in my reading and my praying. I've gotten a deeper relationship with God. I mean, you know, 12 months ago, I thought it was deeper and couldn't get any deeper. But the more I love Him, the more love He bestows, the more He shows you and the more He blesses you. That is the relationship with God that, that, is, that, that is required, a true worshiper. People say, well, you know, I'm just going to stay where I am in my relationship with God. No, you're either going forward or you're going backward. You're not staying in the same place. All right, I've said that. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. There's no asterisk there. There's no condition there. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That's where it's going to grow. That's where it's going to blossom, just like the mustard, the mustard seed. You know, the kingdom of God is like that. Even the smallest seed can grow and grow and grow so large that the fowls of the air can come in and, and, and nest thereof. Is your relationship with God like that tonight? Yes, amen. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven, shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things, and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat. They drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, 
They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Some of us here tonight, he has been revealed. And there are some of you where he will be revealed. There are two kinds of people, I guess you can say. They say there's two kinds of houses in Georgia. Those that have termites and those that will have termites. So anyway, the, something that I have, I have been thinking about based on that, and I've read that scripture months ago. And as I've mentioned at home, I've, I've read through the New Testament. I read Revelation through twice, and now I'm back in the Old Testament. And I'm in, I've just finished Exodus. And you read those books, and it is amazing after reading Revelation. I'm asking myself, wait a minute, didn't I read this in Revelation? All of these things come back, and they, they come, come back around, and there are things that you read. The Bible is a coherent whole. The English major in me absolutely loves the parallels in the Bible. And what it is really, I think, is a negative imprint of itself where you have the Old Testament and you have gaps in the Old Testament. Well, the New Testament, you put the two together and the gaps fill in perfectly to create a single unified whole. One of the things I've been thinking about is the Sistine Chapel that Michelangelo painted. He painted the ceiling and it took him four years. He was, I think he was initially embarrassed or something. He didn't just jump with joy and say, wow, he, was, he thought that it was uh, an effort to glorify man or the Pope at the time. But the, the painting that absolutely I keep coming back to with that is the creation of Adam, where God with the angels is coming down out of the sky and his hand is reaching toward man. Man is reaching back, but he's not touching because we are complete in God. We don't have anything to offer God. We can't just say, okay, God, here I am. But God reaches out to us and God has always sought to touch man, to worship him and have man worship him willingly in sincerity and in truth. Not intermittently, but in a constant holy state to worship God complete in, in God. That's what, he's, that's what he's always worshiped or what, he, what he's wanted. And I find that, again, the English major in me finds that in that pattern of things, hurry up, Ty, you read about from the beginning, there's a pattern, and I don't think that word Jesus used, the lightning, I don't believe he used that word unless it had some meaning behind it. Yeah. I mean some serious meaning behind it. You go back to the flood, and I'm not going to read it, I want to paraphrase, but you go back to the flood and how the rains happened, and it had never rained until that time. It rained for 40 days. God supplied the earth with everything in the dew. I believe that's what, the, the dew was what supplied the, the, the moisture need for everything in the springs. But after God destroyed the earth in the flood, he came to, he came to Noah and God said, this is the token. It wasn't the, it wasn't the covenant itself but it was the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. That means forever. I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. 
Now, Rainbow, there was a, a storm that came a few sunny nights ago at home. Just, just amazing, the peace after the storm had passed through. And there was a rainbow, and I'd never seen this before. There was a rainbow inside of a rainbow. And of course, a rainbow, here's the important thing to remember about the rainbow. I do have a point about this. The rainbow is where the sun is at your back, I believe, and the storm has passed. So there was something before that time, the rainbow couldn't have appeared because it had never rained before. So here's, here's what I'm getting at. God did not abrogate the laws of optics. He did not revoke the laws of optics and say, I'm going to change it so that the rainbow appear. He changed the conditions that allowed the rainbow to appear. You read over in the eighth chapter of Romans. What do you know? I turn right to it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, he didn't change the law, he changed the conditions whereby the righteousness of the law, of the law could be, would be fulfilled in us. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How did he do that? By the resurrection of his Son. By the resurrection of his Son. What's that second verse in the first verse? The first verse of the second chapter of Ephesians. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened. What's quicker than lightning? I, I'm giving myself away here. Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. This, I've been thinking about this for, for nine years or for eight years, or I guess. In what seems like a lifetime ago, let me stop a second. Has there ever been a day to you, sanctified or not, where God has been so real to you that day from the moment you got up out of bed to the moment you laid your head down in everything, you were blessed. God blessed your coming, your going, your uprising, your down-sitting, everything. You were just amazed how well everything worked out and then you knew that God had a hand in it. I've had, I've had lots of days like that, but there is one day that I can remember that ties into that scripture. You may not see anything about it, but that is the power of God that he can take something so ordinary and, and bless us with it beyond anything that we could ask or think. In what seems like another lifetime ago, I had to go and do an as-built on a Palm Beach Mediterranean style house in of all places, Indianapolis. I know, that's what I thought. And I, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a house built in the 1920. It was built out of concrete, and I was really looking forward to it. I, I couldn't, I, I, because I had studied the style of the Palm Beach houses that were built in the 20s, and, and for some reason they just, I, I enjoyed them, I, or I, I appreciated their, the style, etc. So anyway, that day I had to fly to Indianapolis, Another plane ride trip. Here we go. Had to fly to Indianapolis. It was an absolutely beautiful day. I could not ask for better weather. The plane actually took off ahead of schedule. It landed ahead of schedule. I had a wonderful flight. 
That was the first time, by the way, I'd ever flown by myself. So I was very nervous. I had to go rent a car at the airport. I had to drive to the house. I had to work it out with the owner of the house at the time to be able to go in, measure the inside of the house, the outside, take pictures, you know, take some great elevations, you name it. I mean, I had to cover the whole thing in, you know, seven, eight hours. It was amazing. But everything and everything that I did that day God blessed me. He blessed me with a set of the set of the plans that, you know, that I studied on the plane trip going so that I wasn't completely blind when I got there. And as I started to measure everything, of course, it wasn't it wasn't right. I had to I had to make notes and had to make everything correct. But in everything, I could feel the hand of the Lord blessing me that day and just felt his hand on me in everything that I did. Maybe that doesn't mean anything to you, but when God speaks to you in His Spirit and you know that He's working something out in your life for good, that was a blessing to me. Well, all day long the day passed and I realized that I did not have enough time. I had a flight earlier that afternoon and I realized I was running out of time. Anybody that knows me, that's not a big surprise. So I, I, got, I, I either called Mom or Mandy and asked them to call the airline to see if I could get a later flight not knowing how much this would bless me in the end. I had to get a later flight, um, so I finished up what I was doing there, left the house, you know, and I'm used to Atlanta traffic in rush hour, so I was panicking. I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, I'm gonna get caught in rush hour. Let me tell you, Indianapolis rush hour is nothing compared to Atlanta rush hour. The Indianapolis airport is nothing compared to the Atlanta airport rushing. So, so I had plenty of time to get there. Got the flight changed, had plenty of time to wait before the flight left that evening. All right, get on the plane, plane takes off. About 30 minutes later, or, or something like that, it, it, it had gotten dark, and the pilot came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, there's some thunderstorm activity around Nashville, so we're gonna fly around Nashville. Um, we're gonna fly around the Nashville area to get around the storm. Oh man, I had a front row seat. I have not seen a storm before or since the magnitude of that storm. It was across the entire sky and I was at 35,000 feet to see it. It's like God had prepared that just for me. And if I had caught the earlier flight, I would not have been able to witness that. But because I was able to witness that and see that, that was something that my God created. Now ordinarily, Mandy will attest, attest to this, my parents, anybody that knows me, I am a chicken when it comes to lightning. I don't know that I have astrophobia, but if there is a thunderstorm outside and there are children uh, that need to be gotten somewhere, Mandy will say, Ty, I've got the kids, you go on. You go ahead and take it. And I will become a world-class sprinter, you know, with that, with that, with that lightning. And, and the fear of lightning striking that plane never even crossed my mind. Not in the slightest. I was too in awe of the fireworks. I mean, when the lightning flashed and I could see the silhouette of the thunderhead in the sky just flat against the, the sky and just the lightning from one side of heaven to the other, it was just a sight that just God spoke to my heart that night. And for, and for eight years or seven and a half until I read that in, in Luke last year, that festered and made me wonder. Well, that thinking about that storm allowed me to think more deeply about what that, what that scripture meant. Yeah. Let's go to the 19th chapter of Exodus. Again, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people. Now, bear in mind, if I've done my math right, there was 50 days from Passover until, until this day when Moses went up to the mount. That was 50 days. The Lord said unto Moses, no, it wasn't. Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. Where have we heard that before? For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. Now, where have we heard that before about the third day? Where he would, the Son of Man would be crucified of men and be raised again the third day? He was resurrected the third day. He was given life the third day. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning, no less, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now, whether they liked it or not, the people of Israel at this time were being judged. God was giving Moses at this time the Ten Commandments in verbal form. He wasn't giving them yet into the, the tables of stone, but he was giving them in verbal form so that Moses could then share them with the people. Okay? That is, and, and he came down the third day. And there are so many similarities here. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. What did Jesus tell Mary Magdalene? Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But tell my disciples that I go to my Father and to your God, or my God and your God. He told her, don't touch me. That's not where the power is. All right? The next chapter, it still isn't. That's right. Remember, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. The next chapter, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet. Yeah. And the mount and the trumpet. Let's see. Paul mentions that in First Thessalonians, doesn't he? I think he's talking to Jewish people about that. He's using imagery there in First Thessalonians that they understand. They understood about the thunderings and lightnings and descending with a shout and the trumpet. He's using language that they can understand. And me being the English major, I love all that because it parallels right through the whole Bible. There isn't a word in the Bible that is out of place, misplaced, what have you. There is everything. And if God took that much care in writing the Bible, what do you think he's got in store for your life? And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak, uh, speak with us lest we die. They were afraid their hearts weren't in the right place to receive that. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. That's what he wanted. He wanted people to worship him in sincerity and in truth. He didn't want pretense. He didn't want ordinances. He wanted sincerity and in truth. That is the way it always was. Look at Cain and Abel. That's the way it always was. That's the way it is now. So God told Moses in the 24th chapter, he says, come up again. Come up unto the Lord thou and Arab, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. All right, getting down to the 12th verse in the 24th chapter. So between, let me recap, between the 19th and the 23rd verses was the law that God shared with Moses. 
Now they were judged even though they didn't have 10 commandments mounted, you know, nicely mounted and framed on the wall that they could look at, but they were judged because Moses had come down and, and told them, all right, this is what the Lord said. Okay, sounds good to us. 24th chapter, and the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. I wonder why Joshua had so much faith when Brother Riah mentioned that story in Greensboro. Joshua had seen some things that had given him faith that had allowed him to say, wait a minute, God's got something better for us. And he said unto the elders, see if this doesn't sound familiar to you, tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you, and behold, Aaron and her are with you, and if any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now notice here, if Moses had come down the sixth day, what would have happened? He would have missed it. He would have missed everything. Sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. We have to wait on the Lord when sometimes it seems like God is just not answering my prayers. Where is your faith? God is answering your prayers. It may not be the answer that you want, but don't be so short-sighted. Give him some time and realize that he is the God. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt in such a mighty deliverance. Give him, give him the opportunity to work everything out according to his will. So God came down on the seventh day. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. God was saying, come up higher, wasn't he? Come up higher. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Now, notice something here. I had been thinking about this and thinking about this about where, whether, were there any missing days here? And here's what, if I've done my math right, it's, it shows me. I understand that from Passover to the time that Moses went up was 50 days, okay? I understand that when Christ, the day Christ was crucified on the Passover was, was one day, the day of Pentecost was 50 days, all right? How many days was Moses on the mountain the first time? Three. Okay, he went up the 50th day from when they came out of Egypt. The 50th day, three days, all right? How many days was Christ in the heart of the earth? Three days, Christ was crucified on the, pa on the Passover. You take three days away from 50, how many is that? 47, from the time Christ resurrected to the day of Pentecost was 47 days. How many days was he with them? He was with the disciples 40 days. They had seven days of prayer in the upper room. Jesus told them, he said, you know, you're gonna be endued with power from on high, but he said, don't go anywhere. You don't have that power yet. Tarry ye here until you get the power. Do you notice something? The days were inverted. There were seven days that Moses waited, and then 40 days 
that he was with God. They were with Christ 40 days and then seven days before the Spirit came. It was a reverse imprint of itself. There was nothing happenstance about the Bible. The parallel that I am trying to draw is that when Christ said, as the lightning shineth forth from one part of heaven unto the other, he was talking about his resurrection. I cannot emphasize the importance of Christ's resurrection. How important was it? How important was it? If Christ be not raised, we are of all men most miserable. Our hope is in vain. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And he says, he says that, I shake not the earth only, earth only, but heaven only. There was a time when he said heaven and earth pass away. Heaven and earth to those people that were under the, the law, that was what was going to pass away. And the earthquake, the earthquake when, he was gonna, when he was on the cross, that's what brought the separation of the veil of the temple, rent in twain. And from that day forward, if you study the history, from that day forward, they no more sacrificed. It's almost like the priest realized, wait a minute, there's a power here that we we can't comprehend. We're just, we're just going to leave it. And there, but there was another earthquake, and Revelation talks about, let me read this. In Revelation, I am going somewhere with this. I don't know if y'all can, can tell it or not, but I'm going somewhere with this. Y'all just hang on a second. In the fourth chapter of Revelation, and immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that, and the, the, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And it talks about an earthquake in another chapter of Revelation. It talks about an earthquake where there was never seen in, in all the earth, I believe is what it says. Now that earthquake here, where Christ, where Christ came, there was an earthquake I don't believe ever like they had ever seen that ever seen before not something like that that was so precise that it shook heaven and earth and behold there was a great earthquake for the angel of the lord descended from heaven i wonder if he descended from heaven with a shout i've wondered that and came and rolled the, back the stone from the door and sat upon it now i want to i want to point something out here mark is the only one Mark is the only gospel that mentions what the women say to themselves before they get there. What did they say? Who is going to roll the stone away? After all the things that they had seen, everything that God had, Christ had done for them, they're wondering, well, I wonder, let me tell you something. There are some people in this building here tonight that are wondering, who's going to roll the stone away? I got this problem in my life. I got that problem in my life. What, what am I going to do with that? Who's going to take care of that? Let me tell you, where is your faith? If God has raised his son up from the dead, if he has called you into his marvelous light, what do you think he's going to do for you? When people say, when people say, say oh god but I, I just i just don't have any faith let me tell you something i pray for you if you ever get to the point in your life where you say i don't have any faith that god is not going to hear my prayer do you realize that is about that close from you saying there is no god that it won't take very much in your life for the devil to trip you up and cause you to say you know what this faith stuff eh, 
God, nah, I don't believe that. God has given every man a measure of faith. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, you start praying to God. Start reading His Word. Don't let yourself flounder in that belief. God, I just don't have any faith. Not having any faith and not believing that God is going to be able to do something is like somebody being double over in hunger. And, oh, I just, I'm so hungry. And, oh, I just, you know, I'm afraid to go downstairs because my refrigerator, my refrigerator might be broken. And, and, and all the food in my refrigerator might be spoiled. And so I'm just, I'm just going to stay hungry. Do you realize how crazy that? That sounds do you realize God doesn't have a refrigerator he's got a whole storehouse of blessings that he can bestow on us and power that you just won't believe let me tell you in, in that in, in that in that and he rolled a stone back from the door and sat upon it his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men there was some power going on power that even sinful strong centurion men all of a sudden became his babies and were afraid. They were afraid for that. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. There was power. Now, I'm not going to, I've already taken too long, but there was power in that resurrection. Now, go back and read the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a story of compassion. It took power for Christ to raise Lazarus, to raise that one man. It took, it took an awesome amount of power and compassion because when Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, he realized that he had signed his death warrant. When he raised Lazarus, he realized they were going to come, come after him with everything. But he saw the pain that that family was going through, the anguish that they were going through. And when he went there, I can't get around it. I'm sorry. I know, I'll probably apologize a dozen more times. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, well, let me go up a little bit. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. He's probably spoken to some of you that you will rise again. You know, gather your faith together. You know, you will rise again. If you haven't felt that, if you haven't, don't let the enemy deceive you. Don't let the enemy deceive you with the lie that he's deceived everyone here. I'm not old enough. I'm 40 and I've got a lot of gray. What hasn't turned gray is turned loose. I know, but I'm not so old that I don't remember the tactic of the devil saying, God is not calling you. God's not calling you. That is a lie of the devil. There is not a soul here tonight that God has not called. Don't think that, that we're just because we're sanctified and we're, you know, that, 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 you know, that us being down at the altar was a thing in the past that we don't remember how it was with the devil. God is calling someone tonight. He's call, he says, I stand all the day long calling. Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? And just like Brother Jeff preached the other night, how quick did he turn on her, or not turn on her, but turn it around and offer her the, the promise? He offered her that living water. 
She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Faith had revealed it unto her. Faith can reveal it unto you. Don't, don't, just, don't just say, don't just, uh, don't just say, I don't believe, and let the devil cheat you out of that victory. If you don't feel like you have any faith tonight, if, you, if, you're, if you're overweight, what are you going to do? You go on a diet. If you realize that you're getting a little weak, you start exercising. Your spiritual life is no different. Start exercising your faith. If you realize you don't have any faith, don't just, oh, I just don't have any faith. And just, and just admit defeat. God has so much, something so much better for you than to admit defeat. He raised his son again, and, and, and he, saw, he saw this family and the pain that they were going through. And that's what makes, makes this my favorite miracle that Christ did for other people because he saw their compassion. He was willing to put their troubles ahead of his own. And with that, he realized that his, his time to be crucified was at hand because of what he did for this family. You don't think he's going to do that today? You don't think he has compassion on each one of us today with what we're going through, with our jobs, with our, our, maybe our marriages? with our, our, our finances, whatever, anything. You think that he isn't? He was tempted in all points like, a, like as we. He is the God of compassion. Don't, don't allow Satan to deceive you like that. So Jesus, Jesus said, where have you laid him? And Jesus wept because he, he saw that they didn't have any faith. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Don't let your faith get in that position. Always believe. Always believe, no matter what it looks like, no matter how dark the clouds, clouds get, get outside, and I'm contradicting my, my point here, but don't, no matter how dark it may look, well, no, I'm not either, because lightning strikes, where does lightning strike? Where's the strongest lightning? In the center of the darkest cloud. That's where lightning comes from, and it can shine into each one of our lives. Amen. Hurry up, Ty. Take ye away the stone. Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. If you believe tonight, you can see the glory of God. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Pray like that. Jesus prayed like that. You pray like that. That's the prayer of faith. Jesus, God, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you hear me always that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He's calling some of you tonight. He's calling you to come out of the grave tonight. Come forth. Whoever you are, no matter what your circumstances, he's calling for you to come out of the grave. And he that, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Let me tell you something. I mentioned this before. I'm sorry all you that, have, that in Atlanta, in Jacksonville, or wherever, wherever I've mentioned this have heard it. I believe it. I believe our doctrine, the more I read the Bible, I read it as objectively as I possibly can. The more I read the Bible, I believe totally in two works of grace that it takes two separate and distinct works. Sorry, Gary. There is a drawing. There is a drawing. But the, the, the works of grace that God, that God performs with our, with, with, our, with our cooperation is conversion and sanctification. All right. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. 
To me, that was the first work, and I'll tell you why. When he came out of that grave, he still had the grave clothes on. You read the seventh chapter of Romans, the good that I do, or the good that I would do, I do not. If that had been me in my right mind, I would have been tearing those grave clothes off if I was, as I was running out there. But Lazarus, I don't think, that's my opinion, I don't think at that time he was alive. I think he was, I don't want to use, he was, he, he, he obeyed God. He, he, or he obeyed Christ, calling him out of the grave. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound fit. He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And I read that. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. There's your second work right there. Loose him and let him go. Or if you want to play on words, loose him and let him grow. Sorry, I just had to get that in. The fourth work of grace. Loose him and let him go. He could go. He was free from the grave. Now getting back to Christ. Getting back to Christ. When Jesus was, was resurrected, he left those grave clothes in there. And he left, he left those grave clothes in there because he wasn't going to go back in there. Now, Lazarus was going to go back in there. And it even says, it even says, I mean, you want to talk about how powerful Christ's resurrection was? It says in the 26th chapter of, of, of Matthew, when, or I believe, or the, let's see, the 25th chapter, I'm sorry, but it says in the bodies and after his resurrection, Many bodies of the saints arose that came out of the graves. They were judged. They were judged. Those people that had looked to Christ, that had seen Christ, that had lived faithfully unto His coming, they were allowed to come out of the graves. They had died under the law, but they had come out. There was so much power in that, in that instant when Christ that was dead, let me tell you, when they took Him down from the cross, His body had already assumed room temperature. He had already started to turn cold. And after being in the grave, three days. I don't know what his body temperature was, but everything had set in. Rigor mortis, everything that occurs to a natural human body had set in. But when there was life that came in, life that came in, I mean, a, a, a typical lightning bolt, I believe a typical lightning bolt is enough to generate one trillion watts and it only flashes for about 30 millionths of a second. You talk about power. There was more power in that when Jesus came up out of the grave, the power that caused him to resurrect, but it didn't just affect Jesus. And here's where I'm getting back to the, to the thunderstorm that made me think about that as, 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 a, as a... All right, where's your first tie? For as the lightning that shineth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in His day. When He came out of that grave, there was so much power in His resurrection that it didn't just didn't allow Him to come up out of the grave. It allowed all the other people that had depended on Christ and had looked toward Christ's sacrifice, it allowed them to come up out of the graves too. And everybody here, everybody that has a victory that depends on Christ and that yes. sacrifice, we're allowed to come up out of the graves too and walk in newness of life. Now where else am I going with this? That was not the end. That was not the end. And I'm, I'm embarrassed that I'm... I, I, that I, but... I've said that much. Let me, let me try and wrap this up. Jesus, when you think about a thunderstorm, why do you think lightning was so important? There are several reasons why I think it was important. Number one, lightning represented the fire of God. And lightning comes along with thunder. Thunder represented the voice of God. Yes. So lightning and thunder, and when Jesus came out of that grave, 
he had judged. I mean, and he said in the 24th chapter of Matthew, he said, and, and, uh, but the, the day of the elders uh, should not be shortened. But for the elect's sake, he shortened it. He shortened it. Those people, those people, the 24 elders in Revelation that it talks about. Now, lightning, what does lightning do? Lightning finds a path and it strikes the path of least resistance. It's voluntary, isn't it? Don't allow yourself to become a path of greater resistance for that. Don't allow that. Don't put your Bible away. Don't pray and say, well, you know, maybe for some other time, I'm, I'm you know, give up with that. Let your resistance Lower your resistance to God and allow that lightning to come down, the fire of God come down and light up your life. Because if it does, if it will do that, when you get sanctified, when you come, when you come to God, when He calls you, God will give you power that is not just in that instant, but it is power that carries forth from that day and every day that you live, you will live a victorious life. Getting, getting, back, I'm getting back to the second chapter of Acts. I'm going to tie this, tie this up. When that 47th day, when Moses came and he got that, what did Jesus or God say? He said in their, in their, in their minds, in their hearts, will I write them? And in their minds, that day, that day he came down on the day of Pentecost, he came to do that. Those commandments were now, they weren't just something floating out somewhere. He came to float. Now, here's another thing about lightning. As lightning comes down, what causes lightning? Lightning is caused by evaporation of water and friction that has risen in the atmosphere. Now, that lightning or that, that power that raised Christ up from the dead... That was one thing that initiated everything that was going to happen from the day of Pentecost onward. And every day that we live, we gain victory every day from the power of that and that chain reaction. Now, here's my point to us tonight. God, comes, God came down and raised Christ from the dead, but when Christ was carried up, and I'm going to paraphrase, Christ was carried up and those men said, why, why stand you here? Because in like manner, he's going to come back. Revelation talks about the hailstorm that came down. The hailstorm that came down. Now, when you look at the Trinity, that's something the natural man doesn't understand. But you look at water. That's why I think water is mentioned, Brother Gary. Ice is hail. It came down. Jesus came down in the flesh. When he was taken up, I believe that he was changed, not, not as ice or hail, but I believe he was taken up as water vapor or, or in that state. In that state. And then... As water, what are you, what, what's the third state? A gas. You have the Holy Ghost that came down from that. And in every storm that comes up, it propagates another storm. You have a storm come down. In the summertime, you have a storm come down. Rain comes down. The water is evaporated. It's carried up into the atmosphere. And many miles away, that cycle is repeated and repeated. Let me tell you what tonight. Each one of us has a victory that we can live. And I was going to read in the 12th chapter of Hebrews, and I will read just a very few verses. And this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things which are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receiving, now remember the first scripture I read, wherefore we receiving a kingdom, we receive a kingdom of power, which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Tonight, 
Don't discount each victory that you get. Each victory that you get can send up that, that rain back into heaven and start another storm that, that ignites possibly some, some soul. You read the ninth chapter, the 22nd chapter, and the 26th chapter of Acts, each account of Paul. What did he see? He saw a bright light flash around him. What if that was lightning? What if it was something so bright that came down and shone him? And in Joel, he talks about the darkness in that day. How, how do you recognize that a day is so dark? Only by the brightness of a flash of light do you realize the dark state that you're in. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that tonight. I'm thankful for the power uh, that, that God gives each one of us that are sanctified. And if you're not sanctified tonight, don't discount the power, the drawing power of God that can bring you from, from, from dead works to, to the resurrection of life that God can bring you into walk in newness of life. I can't emphasize that in the power that it, that it gives each one of us. Those cloven tongues is a fire. They came down on those people. And I just, I just read that and the imagery just keeps going over in my mind. A clo cloven is, is parted. I mean, if it's, if it's, if it's parted, what if it was a form of lightning that ignited a fire on each one of those? And I want to hear about your victories, each one. I want to hear about Homa's victory. I want to hear about Leesburg, Atlanta. Each victory that we have, don't discount the life of one solitary sanctified life and the victories that you gain and the power that it has over many others to walk in to walk, that, are, that are sanctified here tonight. I'm thankful. I appreciate your time. I sure didn't mean to go on like that, but God has blessed me with that in reading all of those scriptures and that power and that reading about that lightning. The world is so confused about that scripture, about the lightning shineth out of one part of heaven into the other. But I'll tell you, I've experienced it. And if you're sanctified tonight, you've experienced it. And if God, you felt God's drawing power, you've experienced it. Whether you've acted on it or not, you've experienced the light that has shown you that you you are a sinner. And if God is speaking to anyone tonight, while we have a sing a, sing a song of invitation, let's all come down. If you, have a, if, you have a, uh, if you realize that you're in a weakened state tonight, if you, feel that, if you feel that you're not where you should be, come down. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. And the victory that you gain can help somebody bring somebody down or help someone else that is sanctified receive a victory that would carry us on from now until the time that we depart this stage of life. Y'all pray for me that I will continue to read God's Word and be excited by that. That each one of us, as we read it and study, because it is a blessing beyond measure. As someone starts a song, someone, let's all come down for family prayer.